Wrestling with my brother. We got a podcast, yeah. Wrestling with my brother. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that was made redundant from the job squad. It's wrestling with my brother. Ooh, a bit close to the boat now, aren't they? Yeah, for both of us, for various reasons. Well, I, I was thinking more the countless wrestlers that uh, Vinnie Mac has let go of every year, same time every year, bro. It's like Christmas, you look forward to it. Oh, is it me? Is it me? It is sad, isn't it, that you can predict when wrestlers are going to get released and then there's all this anticipation, basically, about people who are losing their jobs. Very sad. It's just, it's, it's ridiculous. And... You know, we've said on the pod, there's no reason for it. There's no rhyme or reason. He's printing money. And I've read loads of other reviews, and you know, people on Twitter and stuff. Uh, what culture wrestling? Yeah, and they're just like, why? He doesn't need to. Old Simon, slaphead Simon. Just like, you know, what's he doing? We don't know. Anyway, how have you been? I'm a bit uh, bit snotty today. I'm not going to lie. It's uh, hay fever season here in the UK. A bit bugged up. Yeah, well, my nostrils are clear. Thank you very much. <laughs> Everything else all right? Nostrils aside? Or... Yeah, very good. Uh, I just read that Christian Cage is now Impact Champion. He is. He is. Spoiler alert. I don't know if I get Rampage, actually. I need to check because I get, obviously, AEW Dynamite every week, but I don't know if I get Rampage. I think I read that it's being made available on Fight TV. Oh, well, okay. <clears throat> it meant to be uh, explosive. I don't agree with it, bro, to be honest. I, he should be in a mentoring role now, like me. I'm a senior designer. I'm stepping back now and giving the youngsters the limelight. So he should be a mentor because one minute he's uh, spearing Jungle Boy on for you know his, his title opportunity, you know, and then the next thing, he's winning one himself. I'm like, hang on, you've been in the company two seconds, mate. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because he's an AEW contracted wrestler who's just won another promotion's title off another AEW wrestler. Does that mean now that he's essentially going to be farmed out to impact for this title ring? I mean, with Kenny Omega, it was less clear because he held the AEW belt as well. So he could yeah. go back and forth. But with Christian Cage only holding one, does that mean he's just going to be in TNA for a while? That's a good point that I didn't even consider. I mean, you know, he, he was in Impact when it was TNA, so maybe he'll, maybe this was his transition into, into Impact and now he's staying there. Yeah, well, Dixie Carter tweeted that it was good to have him home. Um, I think she, she liked him when he was in TNA for his run and didn't like him, didn't like losing him to uh, WWE as she put it but yeah it's interesting to see where they go with that next anyway i like all this cross promotional stuff because i just saw a tweet about matt cardona in uh impact as well so yeah. all these promotions working together i think that's great and i just wish that the whole industry was like that it would just make it a lot more exciting well, you say the whole industry, but the, the big players, players, they're all doing that. So it's only really WWE that are not doing it. So, you know, 50% of the industry or even 40% are doing it. You know, the, the big promotions in Japan have been doing it for years. So, 
Yeah, it's only Vinny Boy not doing it, but no, I, I've never, ever, ever been a fan of Christian in, in the WWF and then WWE, but as soon as he came to AEW, I thought, holy shit, same with Kurt Angle. You know, I, I've appreciated Kurt, but even his gimmick in TNA was really good. They just took kind of stars, you know, at the top of the game and then give them more of an edge. Not that wasn't the pun, but you could take that <laughs> for what you want. You know, we had this that stupid gimmick with Edge where it was the I, I'm doing it for the camera, you can't see, but you know, where they're stopping and posing, uh, stupid glasses and all that shit. Uh, he lost all of that in TNA and he, he was just he was just really good. Okay, let's get on with our uh, first segment. Should we have got an absolute doozy for you this week? I, I'm probably prouder than this than anything I've achieved in my entire life to date. You ready? I'm intrigued. Good. Let's uh, let's do another. Would you rather, brother Darren? Would you rather take the plane ride from hell, or have to road trip with Andre the Giant and his forty-eight beers? <laughs> now, question: Am I driving in the road trip, oh, or am I a passenger? Am I flying the plane, bro? <laughs> Am I on the wing? Have I got an aisle seat? <laughs> Am I next to the toilets? <laughs> no, no. There's a difference between driving Andre the Giant and being a passenger with him. If you're a passenger, he might share his beers. If you're driving, you are not drinking. No way. Well, you are, according to Jake the Snake Roberts, because he was on the Joe Rogan experience and he said, um, I think for part of the journey, he had to drive. But no, <clears throat> for both your passengers, you're in the back seat with Andre, uh, just, just getting pissed, but he's, he's a liability or, yeah, a participant in the playwright from hell. I'd be in the car with Andre, I think. There's every chance that he might share his beers with me. He's the size of, what, three or four men? I'm the size of half a man, so <laughs> it wouldn't be wouldn't be that squashed in there, depending, <laughs> especially if it's if it's an American car, which are you know big enough for 10 normal-sized humans anyway. So, yeah, it'd be, it'd be fine. Like I said, he might share his beers, might, might be a bit of fun, and you can always just ask the driver to stop and get out. In the plane ride from hell, I mean, there's shit going on everywhere. Drunken wrestlers fighting in the aisles, Ric Flair flashing, I think. Uh, yep. You know, and that's the sort of stuff that you don't want to be happening at 30,000 feet in the air, you know, because you can't just pull over and, and let the troublemakers out. It's not a bus. This is a flying death trap. So, no, I think I'd rather be on the ground with Andre sharing some beers. Yeah, exactly the same. Just the stories from from, from that plane ride, unbelievable. But um, yeah, it was um, it was Jake the Snake, and he he said, "I don't know if you're the same, and I am absolutely the same. If you have like one or two beers, break the seal. That's it. You know, he he said he doesn't buy beers; he just borrows them because then he's pissing them back out." Uh, he said Andre didn't stop once. He's driving across America, so hours and hours and hours traveling. He didn't stop once for a piss. Uh, and I, I don't think, I, he must have been driving because he couldn't see Andre. Um, and then he turned around. He was like, hey, give me one of the beers. All gone. He's like, what do you mean they're all gone? All gone. I'm drunk no more. <laughs> I, I could do that even better with my nose at the minute. You're all gonna drink all the beers. He's like, you drank 48 fucking beers to yourself. Yes. You haven't even had a wee. Don't eat a wee. I need more beers. 
I love it. And he just couldn't believe like 48 normal beers. He wasn't even drunk and he didn't have a piss once. Stories of uh, Andre the Giant's drinking abilities are legendary. And I'm sure that the numbers go up every time those stories are told. I'm pretty certain that there's a massive amount of exaggeration. They're almost as kayfabe as uh, some of the angles that he was involved in. But I think he's obviously a different sized human from from the rest of us and he probably had the ability to drink excessive amounts but uh yeah i'm sure there's uh, been layers added in over the years as well absolute legend did you see uh you've seen the the film with him have you with andre the princess bride <laughs> no no he's got his own film oh right so you mean the documentary about him yeah well there's a difference between saying the film with him and a documentary about him Oh, semantics, and it? it's a film nonetheless. It's filmed. But anyway, yeah. I saw The Princess Bride, where he played <laughs> a giant Fezzik, and I saw the documentary about his life, yes. You see, like, the photo of that beer in his hand. Oh, it's unbelievable. Absolutely unreal. There we are. Good. That, that was a good one, I? I did myself the... That was a good one. I enjoyed that one. Also, yeah. did you know The Plane Ride from Hell took place on a flight back from the UK? Yes. They'd come over for the UK uh, pay-per-view insurrection in 2002, and they were on their way back over the Atlantic. They all got pissed up, and yeah, chaos ensued. Good times. Okay, on to my first match, and what an absolute doozy. This is the Monsters Ball at TNA Bound for Glory 2005. Everything you say tonight going to be a doozy because that's the second time in two features you've used it now. When you fuck off. <laughs> Abyss, Jeff Hardy, Sabu, and Rhino. I mean, do I need to say any more? I mean, this is two of the yes. most. Oh, yeah, otherwise, uh, this would be a really short podcast. We've been wrestling with my brother. We're available. I <laughs> know. Oh, uh, so two of the most intense ECW stars, WWE's craziest daredevil, and TNA's wildest monster. I mean, this is what dreams are made of. Maybe not your dreams, but my dreams were made of this. You All right, know. Annie Lennox. <laughs> You're not going to see any collar and elbow types in this one. Uh, so sorry for all you technical fans. This is just a wild, literally over-the-top brawl basically uh you know the the moves over the top rope lead into that wild brawl and i miss the impact zone i know it's a weird thing to dwell on when you're watching a clip but it just felt industrial and different from every other arena in wrestling at the time and i also miss don west so much that it bloody hurts he was freaking insane and yeah he, he, he just made this match for me along with with everyone else I mean, yeah, just just how mental straight off the gate. There was no build-up. It was just, no, this is what you're having. This is for the most hardcore, extreme people in the world going berserk. And again, I hope it wasn't too violent for you. There wasn't a gratuitous use of, of weapons, but 
you know, I picked the match mainly for Hardy's arguably best bump in TNA. I mean, that's wanton on abyss through that table. Uh, just, I remember at the time him climbing that ladder thinking, there's nowhere else to go. You're on the bloody roof, Jeff. But, you know, not only did the spot look like it killed both men, but I forgot about Hardy's die from the bleachers earlier on. Like, for most wrestlers, one or the other would be enough of a spot. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do a bleacher spot. Oh, great, yeah, because that was a hell of a bloody distance, the first dive. That's it. Oh, yeah, the, the crowd will love that. No, don't worry about that, mate. That's, that's, just, that's a taster. And then just, I didn't want to call all the all the spots, but then he just takes a humongous top rope hard driver at the end. And, yeah, freaking insane. Discuss. Yeah, I enjoyed this. I like all four of these wrestlers for different reasons. As you said, Hardy's high-flying daredevil skills, Sabu's hardcore pedigree, Rhino's hard-hitting intensity, and Abyss's sheer monstrousness. So, you know, it was really good to see them all in a match together and demonstrating all of the moves and spots that made them fan favourites for those different reasons. It didn't take long for Sabu to be busted open today, you know? <laughs> um, and that thing about Jeff Hardy that you said, I was familiar with most of his high spots from WWE, but I'd never seen this one, which was absolutely insane. And it wasn't only the height, but it was the horizontal distance that he had to jump from the jumping off point to the table. And the fact that that table was on a level below <laughs> another level as well. So if he'd have misjudged the distance, he could have ended up clipping his head on the edge of that one stage or just landing on it completely, you know? Oh, it was absolutely mad. And the fact, again, because of the height, it was only one table to the floor. Oftentimes, when they jump off ladders like that, you've got a few tables stacked on top of each other, so it cushions the impact even more. But, wow. And, yeah, Sabu's high-flying moves were also pretty impressive. You know, those top rope dives and the moonsaults. And then, at the end, when Abyss caught him, turned him around and dumped him through the table. Lovely stuff. Um, <laughs> That's fast becoming my favourite catchphrase. It was all this lovely stuff. I'm glad. Um, <laughs> the the you said about the the violence and the brutality. Just to clarify again, I don't <laughs> mind weapons. I don't mind violence. I don't mind brutality. I don't even mind a little bit of blood. What I don't like is deliberate blood shedding for the sake of it. When they go to somebody's head, for example, with a pizza cutter or a cheese grater or anything else and deliberately aim to get blood out of them. So for that reason, I was so glad that Rhino gored Abyss before he could get those fucking thumbtacks out. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. And the funny, the two things that you've just mentioned there are the the only thing you haven't used is a pizza tray, and they're the instruments you need to make a pizza. Yes, that's true. But I don't mind a pizza tray because it's flat and it doesn't necessarily inflict a, a cut, which would then bleed. Um, the only thing I would say, I was quite surprised at how short this match was. You know, for a match that had these four competitors... And then so many spots, it could easily have been twice as long as it was. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I didn't take that into consideration at the time. It it didn't feel rushed, but like I said, there was no build that was there. There was no kind of stare down, no kind of waiting for the crowd to kind of chant. It was just straight in. Like I, I don't think I've ever seen a match where, yeah, you know, especially a hardcore match where it just started off, boom, straight out of the gates. You know, you imagine like, 
your favorite type of match, you know, a barbed wire rope match. They don't hit the barbed wire for the first like 10, 15 minutes. It's all about the build up, the anticipation. With this, it was just, no, fuck that. So maybe they were told, you, how long was that? Like 15, 20 minutes, I think it was. 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, yeah, just how how much stuff they got in in that time as well. Um, I'm glad you liked it. No, but I, I, and I don't just want to be known as a blood and guts guy. I, I, to be honest, I'd forgotten about how violent this match was. I did it because I thought, oh yeah, that's the match with that spot at the end. I skipped to the end. I thought, yeah, that's that's the one. So I'd send it to you, and then I watch it thinking, fucking, ah, it's actually quite, <laughs> it's quite brutal. Um, yeah, I'm glad you liked it. I did, and like I said, I, it was amazing to see all these four competitors in the ring at the same time because. I didn't realise that there'd been that crossover of talent. You know, obviously Rhino um, and Sabu from ECW, and then both of them performed in WWE at different points. Jeff Hardy, I knew, had obviously been in both. Um, and Abyss, obviously, chiefly known as a TNA guy. A TNA guy, but I had TNA, no guy idea that... <laughs> TNA guy, yeah, Abyss from it's, Down Under. It's not Australia Federation, mate. <laughs> yeah, mate. Shut your face. Get me another tinny. Hey, look at me like that again. I'll give you a bloody black old slam there, fella. <laughs> Bit of shock this treatment, is, mate. <laughs> this is going to be like when we alienated uh, all those yeah. viewers from the uh, Deep South. Yeah, <laughs> all, of our, all of our Aussie, Aussie listeners, though. But yeah, for them to all have been in a promotion at the same time and to have such a hard-hitting match, and it didn't seem like any of them were past their prime either, you know. Uh, Sabu still had the ability to do all his moves, even though it was a good few years after his ECW career ended. And Hardy was in a a good spot, which, you know, he wasn't necessarily for all of his uh, TNA tenure. No. Um, I think... Hardy and Rhino are still kind of performing at that level, but yeah, Abyss is he's still wrestling anymore. He went into Joseph Parks's kind of alter ego, and Sabu, I think, shortly after that. He's a weird one, he's kind of a journey man, really. He's obviously spent a lot of time in Japan just tearing his body up, but once ECW folded, he was in XPW and he wasn't in TNA for that long. He did the ECW run, you know, in WWE and you know that. Bloody feud with the big show. Uh, so he, he's been odd, but yeah, like, he can't wrestle now. He can't, he can't really bloody move. What's it's the it. definition of a monster's ball match? Is it that there are all these weapons about and you can use them all? And is that it? Is it just their version of a hardcore match, essentially? Yeah, and the, they did this a lot, but I still liked the things that they come up with in terms of they've got King of the Mountain match. Um, They've got, yeah, Monsters Board, just falls count anywhere, hardcore. They call all of their divas knockouts, which I think was really clever. Um, so they do like to to give names and phrases to things. But, you know, that, that made them kind of stand out, really. There you go. Clip number one in the bag. Oh, yeah. Well, from that to something completely different. This is... Ultimo Dragon versus Dean Malenko at WCW Starcade in 1996. Both men back. You can see how much they've given the fans here in this opening bout. It has been tremendous. Malenko gets the momentum going his way. Maybe for the pile driver here. Yes. Here's the connected. Good night, Mr. Drago. The fans are up. One, two, and I can't believe he kicked out. Split oh, second oh, away. Oh. 
from winning and unifying all the belts. He spiked him with that tombstone pile driver. Well, he's not going to be any closer than he is right now. Well, here you Take go. Take him home. The fans are behind Malenko. He's going for the Texas Cloverleaf. And the Dragon sees it coming. He goes to the ropes in a hurry. Great scouting and preparation by the Dragon there as he noticed right off the bat that, that Malenko was going to apply that Cloverleaf. And he's getting back to the ropes. To the midsection. Malenko. Butterflies the arch. Time to take him home. Turn it out. It's over. One, two. Yes. No. Again, he misses. And again, the ultimate dragon living on the edge. Now, you might have noticed on this pod that we shit on WCW a lot. So I think it's only fair that we also balance that out with uh, some of the highlights of uh, WCW, the things that they got right. And the stuff that they did with the Cruiserweight division in the mid-90s really showcases how right they could get it. And this particular match is often included in WCW top 10 matches lists. And it was just an awesome display of these conflicting cruiserweight styles. You've got Malenko's technical map-based wrestling and Ultimo Dragon's more hard-hitting, high-flying stuff. And I, I just love the psychology involved. You know, Malenko trying to slow down Ultimo Dragon, stop him getting any of his traditional offence in, um, especially in the opening minutes. But there were some fantastic displays of technical wrestling here, lots of chain wrestling, lots of reversals and counters. Um, like I said, some really good ring psychology from both of them, really. And I love how they used such a variety of submissions. Um, in fact, I don't think a hold or a move was repeated in the whole match, which was quite remarkable for a match of this length. You know, it did go on for 20 minutes, but it didn't outstay its welcome. You know, I think... The submissions were just long enough. There were lots of them, but there was enough of a variety and they didn't go on for long enough to you, for you to think, oh, this is just a rest hold, you know. And it is a total uh, shift from the last match and a total counterpoint to it. But I think there's room for both in wrestling. And I, I love when you get that variety, you know, you can go from a hardcore match with blood and these high spots to a, a proper technical map-based match like this to a slobber knocker you know just two beefy bastards punching each other up <laughs> anyway back to this match the last few minutes of this match are especially exciting with, with all those reversals and counters and i've got to say for a cruiserweight bout this was almost perfect i agree and yeah again want to start contrast to uh match number one but that's just how diverse we are on this point you know we're Picking bits from the entire universe of wrestling. But another match featuring Mike today on commentary. So another another weird crossing of our paths. Yeah, f- you know, first of all, I thought this is a great pairing of talent because Malenko looks so small against a lot of his opponents. Even though he's in the cruiserweight division, he's not that much bigger than Ray, is he, in terms of height and build? I mean, he's you, essentially. I- I've said this more than once. If anyone's your phone, if anyone's wondering what Darren actually looks like, it, it, it's it's Dean Malenko. It's, it's Darren Malenko. But this didn't feel one-sided. They were kind of evenly matched in terms of build and kind of technicalities. Well, yeah, you, you say that. I mean, they both were the same size. How often do you see a match with a ref is bigger than both competitors? I know. I know, because they get they purposely get smaller refs in for the most part, don't they? To make wrestlers look bigger, but <laughs> it has to be Hornswoggle ref in this, just to... <laughs> uh, but uh, the first 10 minutes, i got to admit, I thought, oh, gosh, this is slow. I, I hope this isn't, you know, the, the pace of it. But 
I really, really appreciated it towards the end. And, and the ending made me appreciate the build-up even more because this is how you build up the pace of a match, the drama of a match. And, you know, it was a technical classic. You've got to admit that the start, it was a lot of sleeper holds, a lot of kind of grappling, you know, and I've seen more exciting technical wrestlers like RVD versus Geraldin, but this wasn't what this was about. This was a kind of clash of styles, Orient meets the US, and like you said, technical versus hard-hitting, high-flying. But yeah, just the way it built and built and built, like I appreciated the quieter moments more then because I thought, God, we, we've actually gone on quite a journey to get to this point. Um, you know, a lot of hold reversals and submissions, which was really, really good to see. You don't really see a lot of that now in terms of, you know, mat wrestling. <laughs> the commentary was funny. I don't know if you noticed. What do you mean kind of a half crab? That's a whole half crab. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Uh, nice moonsault fake into the suicide dive through the ropes by Dragon. I really like that. Um, and a question for you based on offense. If you're locked in a sleep hold and don't reverse it with a belly-to-back suplex, are you even a wrestler? That is like the... It's, it's made for you, isn't it? It's almost like a flawed hold because you're already in position. Put your armor on the back, boom. So I thought that was quite funny because I've seen that time and time again. Um, but yeah, re- really nice match. You know, it was a nice little match, but not just because there were two little men battling out. It was, like you said, not too long. Didn't overseas welcome, and uh, yeah, so. yeah. I take your point about the slow start. It did feel like that, but again, it's when you appreciate the thing as a whole and you see the story they were trying to tell in the ring. Um, and yeah. again, I think it's getting that balance right, isn't it? Because if you had three or four matches like this, you'd be bored. You know, you, 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 the way the secondary people like, oh, I've just seen all this. Yeah. That's why it's really good to, to have different styles of wrestling and different styles of wrestler going up against each other. And then just to see the match as a whole rather than consider, you know, each, each bit of it. And I think those that can tell a story in the ring are going to be remembered as being the best. I mean, you know, look at Bret Hart. He, hit the stories that he told in the ring through his wrestling and through his emotions and his 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 face you know his body language for for, for want of a better word you know will stand the test of time and that's why he is remembered as as one of the best and you know here you had two men that were doing just that and i think by all accounts they did it quite a few times as well in various matches but uh yeah i thought this was uh, a very good representation of the uh, the cruiserweight division yeah, I mean, another guy that springs to mind when you say that is Jake the Snake. I know we've we've mentioned him, you know, before, but he could tell a story just by looking at someone. You know, one promo just tells like a use worth of content. So he's a guy that did even less. He was even less technical than, than Brett, but he told that story as well. And, you know, again, do you see that now? It, it's just, for me, it just feels like a lot of Brock Lesnar's and Braun Strowman's using muscle, you know, for over brains and are you getting that level of storytelling now those subtle little nuances to matches that you were getting back in the day you know yeah I think the best well I'm coming at this from the point of view of not having watched much current wrestling apart from this but I think one of the best to ever do it who is still wrestling I know I keep going on about it is Chris Jericho 
you know, and he has always put the emphasis on building up a feud and telling a story in the ring, you know, and, and making his character the best it can be to do the best job he can. And there've been times when he's been offered the opportunity to be champion or to go over an up and coming talent. And he's said, no, what's the point in that? You know, that's not where I am as a wrestler. And it, it's that kind of attitude. And then the fact that he wants to, to tell a story as well, that really elevated him above the rest. Now I'm saying that because he's a favorite and he's still wrestling. There might be many more that are doing it in AEW and, you know, the various WWE brands, but I don't know about if you know, Tell us, you know, share on social media. Who are those storytellers out there? Now, who is the Bret Hart? Who is the um, Chris Jericho of this generation? Who's the Dean Malenko? Who's the Ultimo Dragon? Let us know. Let us know. For show. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we don't just pick uh, matches on this podcast. We like to look at all of the weird things that happen in and around wrestling. So for my second clip of the week, this is Joey Styles quitting Raw in 2006. And now, thanks to the magic of live television, I'm going to show the whole world why for seven years in ECW, I was the unscripted, uncensored, loose cannon of commentary. Six months ago... WWE called me. I didn't call this company because I was looking for a job. I didn't need a job. WWE called me because they had humiliated and fired again Jim Ross. So I get JR's spot. And from week one, week after week, I've got an ongoing lecture about the differences in professional wrestling and sports entertainment. So this is 10 years... Uh, <coughs> oh, God, I, I sound like the teenager from The Simpsons. This is 10 years after the last clip. Can you believe it? And here we see a rather miffed Joey Styles putting it to the king. Um, and I know this was a work shoot. I, I kind of had a look and it, you know, it was scripted for the most part, but it felt real. And it reminded me of when kind of Heyman would cut loose on the boss on live TV and some of the acidic things that he would say, you're like, oh my God, there's no way that was scripted. How is Vince keeping a straight face? You know, but this is what this felt like. Very much CM Punk. Pretty much every time Punk is on the mic, I'm like, oh my God, he's really, he's the voice of the voiceless. That's his thing. And this is what this felt like. And, you know, I, I don't want to keep on saying this is what WWE's missing, but a little bit of that spontaneity, a little bit less scripted. And I think they get back this kind of excitement you can tell from the crowd. They were like, holy shit, he is shooting straight from the hip partner. But yeah, Jerry basically spent seven years in ECW as, in his words, the unscripted, uncensored, loose cannon of commentary. I don't think he was necessarily loose cannon. You know, he never swore. He was always professional. Uh, and he called you know, matches move for move, even when the moves were too damn fast to call. So I think, you know, he was a commentator within a renegade company, but he was very damn proficient at what 
what he did. You know, and essentially this boils down to professional wrestling versus sports entertainment, which I found really interesting. Um, you know, wrestlers versus superstars. All the semantics that, that Big Boss McMahon likes to use, um, but they add to nothing in the wrestling world, which is quite interesting because I just talked about, you know, TNA and the knockouts and uh, Monsters Ball. The branding of things felt fresh and new and exciting, but really sports entertainment is it's it's not sports and you know it's too much entertainment but you know what i took away from this is that you can bump a guy from wrestlemania but by god do not bump him for backlash yeah. backlash the disdain that he had for backlash when you know we highlighted uh last week how good backlash could be i mean the 2000 backlash is one of the best but who knows maybe by this point Backlash has gone to shit, but um, yeah, we're gonna have to get the uh, the controversial noise out again, bro. Du, du, du. Why? Yes, thank you. Well, I mean, this was controversial, wasn't it? The things that he was saying. Um, you, you said it was a work shoot, but I, I bet he meant and believed every word of it. I certainly agreed with it, and it's funny to think how long ago this was, and yet a lot of those criticisms are still relevant today. And I think this demonstrates that occasionally Vince McMahon does listen to the fans and understand where they're coming from. And the fact that he allows what is a genuine criticism to be broadcast on primetime TV on his flagship show shows that every now and again he can take that criticism on the chin. And, you know, he's fine with it being shared. Um, I, I don't know. I've got mixed feelings about this because the whole kind of wrestling, sports entertainment thing... On the surface, it just seems silly to ban mention of wrestling and, you know, wrestlers. But it's a brand, isn't it? And it's that brand identity that he's built up. And as somebody who has worked with brands, um, well, both of us, really, in different respects, we've worked with brands and we understand how brand identity is important. That is what Vince McMahon has done to set WWE aside from the rest of the wrestling world and you can argue that it is an insult to wrestling perhaps you could argue that it cheapens the product but i think it sets wwe aside as something else you know it doesn't he doesn't see it as swimming in the same pool as the rest he sees them as as a different product altogether that's why he doesn't feel that he has competition from AEW even now but the fact that there are other promotions calling it wrestling and uh, promoting the fact that it's wrestling is is a positive so i don't know and i think there's that other thing as well isn't it about the wwe being different but people know that it's different and they go there because of that a lot of the time you know it, there's a reason why it's the top um and it, it, it might not do things that everybody likes but they know it's where they're going to get the most money and the most exposure. So it, it can be a bit hypocritical as well, some of the criticism. I think it, for me, I just think it's taken advantage of this massive legacy, you know, that, that the NWA and WCW and other kind of companies have built up over the years, you know, way back in the day of, of wrestling. And then they've kind of capitalised on that success and turned on his head, like you said, you know, we've both been involved in licensing. I'm going to sound like a bit of a knob now, but I actually travelled to London when I worked for a licensing company and I sat in on a WWE licensing meeting. 
it was it was really kind of you know oh my god pinch me i'm a wrestling fan and i'm here talking about licensing but yeah the, you you wouldn't know you're in a wrestling meeting it was really weird it wasn't a meeting it was kind of a cinema essentially and they had a massive presentation but just to see the sheer stretch that they've got across the world you know they they didn't feel like wrestlers they felt like products they felt very much like they were already action figures that they were talking about so that was really interesting from my point of view to go actually yeah the thing that i love about this company they even mentioned they don't mention wrestlers or wrestling it's all what toys are out you know what 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 events are coming up but not even the wrestling events you know the meet and greets and branded tour buses and just yeah dvds and all these crazy things and i'm like is anyone going to mention any any wrestling here so yeah i i don't know i, I for me you know as we continue to say the attitude area was the kind of height of, of our interest in the company and you know we, we've shared some really modern matches now they're still doing great things it's just pg really i you know it's it shouldn't be controlled so tightly from a licensing point of view you should have free reign aw still got uh, you know action figures they're developing a game they're having all these licenses behind them but yeah, these they're still quite a violent product. So, yeah, but then you said about the pizza cutter thing and Domino's, and you know that could happen more frequently if they keep doing things that sponsors don't want to be associated with. Yeah. So you know it's very difficult to push the envelope these days in a multimedia landscape with all social media because one wrong foot and you can be cancelled uh, immediately, and if you lose your sponsorships, you you're going to lose. <laughs> your product eventually they need to cut that out don't they bro slice it off um something to do with crust oh you're you're trying to get a pizza the action now are you oh god just topping off a really good pun segment yeah <laughs> come on let's keep going let's keep this pizza train going how many will we got that was cheesy don't put me in a box bro just you know <laughs> How much room have we got left for this? <laughs> I'll live it, but you know, well, I was just scratch. Anymore? Come on, do we chicken? Uh, I, I'm anchova this now. Oh, that's, oh, that's not really there, is it? You, just, you wouldn't say, can I have anchovas on my pizza? You can't just put two words together, though. Depends on your accent, I don't know. You just need a good base to build from this. Oh, we need to leave it here. I'm stuffed. <laughs> I'm getting too crusty for this. Oh, yeah. So on to my second clip, the final clip for this episode. This is Chris Adams and Chris Von Erich versus Percy Pringle and Steve Austin in USWA Renegades Rampage 1989. Chris Von Hi, Mom! Well, you see, Steve Austin. Hi, Mom! A face that only Mom could love, I guess. Paired up with Percival Pringle III. He says he's the pride of Mobile, Alabama. How about the scourge of Mobile? Percival Pringle III and Chris Monarch, this battle. Yeah, into the legs, and he's a close friend, the first of the third. 
So I saw a clip of this match on an episode of The Dark Side of the Ring, which looked into the tragedy of the Von Erich family. And I just had to pause it and rewind and go, what? Because I couldn't believe that there was a match with Percy Pringle, a.k.a. Paul Bearer, teaming up with Steve Austin. Now, I knew that Percy Pringle, or, or to give him his real name, William Moody, was a manager um, before he'd been in WWE. And I knew that he had that Percy Pringle identity and that it was kind of the USWA's version of Bobby Heenan. And he had his own family there. But I had absolutely no idea that he'd wrestled in a few matches. And apparently he, he did every now and again. He wasn't in the ring every single night, but he did get involved. And there's so much about this clip that is just very odd, you know, seeing him teaming with with Steve Austin before he was Steve Austin, you know, with his long blonde hair and tights and and acting like a cowardly heel. Um, and the fact that Percy Pringle is bigger and more physically imposing than the, the wrestler that he faces off against, Chris Von Erich. And and that was sad as well then, because I got to reading about Chris Von Erich and you know, what, a, what a tragic story, you know. The smallest and the youngest of the five Von Erich brothers, he was only five foot five. And in this clip, I think he was only 20 years old. And he had all these health problems, including asthma and brittle bones that limited his performances in the ring. So according to Wikipedia, he actually fought several matches against Pringle and Austin, either with... Um, Chris Adams as his tag partner or one of his other brothers but because of his age and inexperience and his health problems he would only face Percy Pringle in the ring with with Chris or his brother Kevin fighting Austin um, and then of course tragically uh, just a couple of years after this he took his own life but yeah I, I was just I couldn't believe what I was seeing you know the Undertaker's former manager teaming up with Steve Austin it's yeah just so random so weird this was just absolutely berserk. I mean, Paul Beer in an actual wrestling match. I literally never thought I'd see the day. Because you, I think you told me years ago, how oh, do you know what Paul Beer's Beer real name is? I'm like, that is the most ridiculous name ever. And I, it, it, I didn't put two and two together. I'm like, Percy Pringle, where do I know? And I'm like, shut the front door. Look at the state of him. But this is the second time you've ended the pod with a proper retro classic. Is this like becoming a new theme for you? We have a retro half hour? No, that I, like I said, I happened across both of those clips. So last week's one I saw scrolling through Facebook on a BBC archive page. This week um, from a wrestling documentary. And then I went and found the actual match. But having said that, the YouTube account that I saw it on has lots of classic matches. So I might be eventually sharing a few more. But yeah, it was just that juxtaposition of A, Percy Pringle in the ring, and B, wrestling as a tag team partner with a prototype version of Steve Austin. It's just bizarre. Now, talking to Steve Austin, or studying Steve Austin, which part of him was more dated? That beautiful long blonde hair, or those Saved by the Bell tights? Did you notice that I'm like, oh, what TV show does that remind me of? Are those proper 80s retro shapes? I'm like, fuck, that's like the intro to Saved by the Bell. Terrible. I like your shout out to his mom as well. You know, we do something like that if we were pro wrestlers. Hey, mom. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Percy, is his only job here to get dropped, toe-holded? Or 
<laughs> so just go out there and just just have like drop toe hold after drop toe hold applied to him. Like, don't know if that's kind of. Sorry, I think that I, was probably the only move that Chris Von Eric knew. Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> essentially, I mean, we keep on calling him Percy Pringle. We should actually be referring to him as his uh, proper name, Percival Pringle the Third. I, I believe that was his official title. Um, oh, I just bloody camp madness. I mean, even the ref looked like a two count away from a heart attack, didn't he? Every time he got down, I felt bad. I thought those hips and knees ain't going to take much more of this. He literally like he caught the bash here after bridge club and he was like oh fuck's sake here we go again uh, yeah it's just a hot mess of a match but again another great kind of camp time catch you all love when these four wrestlers were in the same ring at the same time it's just that's the thing you 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 watch jr and you watch jerry the king lawler you know in the attitude era you forget lawler wrestled for years and years and years i know you shared that clip but we haven't really shared him in the ring and you just see him as as this idiot with a crown basically and yeah just seeing jr back in the day you think my god he looks about 12 uh, it's, it's just weird it's like a secret life of, of wrestling before it became mainstream and that's what I enjoy about your random clips is like, no, 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 no. The Undertaker is all in black. I don't even acknowledge him with his purple tie and gray gloves. The Undertaker is black hair, goth. But, you know, just to see Mark Calloway's first match, you're like, he's bloody ginger with a mullet. What is going on? Yeah, this reminded me very much of that, actually, because you had, again, two stars from from different promotions. Um coming together, Heyman as manager and, you know, The Undertaker as, as Mark Callis. But it's that thing we talked about before, isn't it, of when wrestlers come to WWE, they are packaged in a certain way and their past before that is never mentioned. And these days, it's so much easier to find out about their past because of the internet. But back then, it, it wasn't. Well, I mean, certainly when this was originally broadcast, it was impossible. So when Austin was in the Attitude Era, they had no interest in ever saying, oh, look at this old clip. When Paul Bearer was Percy Pringle and he teamed up with a, a blonde Steve Austin, you know, because they, they, they just wouldn't do that. It would undermine their entire product. So it's only after the event that you kind of find out about it. But yeah, it's very funny. You've kind of alluded to in the past, in that era, you had to have a job in the WWE. Obviously his was a bearer for The Undertaker. You can imagine if they'd have gone, right, okay, what's your real, what, what was your stage name before? Okay, you're a Pringle door-to-door salesman. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, they they did use, because outside the wrestling world, he had a career. Uh, if he couldn't make it as a wrestler, he was a mortician, yeah. which is why, which is where the Paul Beera gimmick came from. Oh, and who gave him the name? I think it was one of the Road Warriors. I can't remember which one it was, Animal or Hawk, but that said, oh, it, Call him Paul Beera. That stuck. Yeah, it's good, clever name. I mean, his surname in real life is Moody, so you can even do something on that angle. You know, Chili McFreeze and Moody Mc <laughs> Grumpy Pants, <laughs> Moody Mark. <laughs> Mark. Oh, why didn't they have Moody Mark and Mean Mark? <laughs> but he could have been Moody Mark or Moody Martin, and well, you know, Mean Mark. Well, Moody. And proper mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we should probably wrap this up before we start getting moody and mean. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm terrified there's gonna be more pizza puns. I think I think it's about time. 
You do it this week. Say my bunged up nose gone. Do it for me. Okay. Thank you for listening to Wrestling With My Brother. I've been Darren. He's been Craig. And we've been bringing you a quality podcast. Uh, I'm going to stop with that stupid voice. I don't know where that was going. Anyway, yeah, we've been uh, Wrestling With My Brother. You've been fantastic. You can find us on Twitter at WrestleBrosPod. We're available on all the podcast platforms. So if you listen on a particular podcast platform because you think that's the only place you can find us, for example, Anchor, nah, nah, we're on all of them, mate. Go to Apple, Spotify, your Googles, your, I've forgotten the rest of them, all the, all of them. Look for us. You'll find us there. Rest with my brother. Oh, I started off so well, didn't it, that? I'm just going to wrap up now. All right. Until next week. Oh, I, I was just about to say, and we're on Twitter at WrestleBrosPod. And if you're in two minds whether to follow us, John Cena, ever heard of him? He's following us. So, you know, j- just follow suit. Sergeant Slaughter follows us. PJ Polacco follows us. Fight TV follows us. That's two apiece. Can't think of any more. You know, there are loads of other big, big blue tick names that do follow us. But yeah, we'll leave it there. Yes, thank you for listening. You've been awesome. We've been wrestling, my brother, and we'll catch you next week. Something, something pepperoni. <laughs> wrestling with my brother. We got a podcast, yeah. Wrestling with my brother.